folks, it's 2 p.m. on the Pacific, Thursday, February 7th. I'm Fred McMurray with my co-host, Ray Pillar. This is the Pillars of Franchising, Broadcasting the Secrets of Success. Ray, happy anniversary, my friend. It's our one-year anniversary show. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Fred? I tell you, you know, I, I, I have to be jealous today. Today it is just absolutely gloomy outside. It's 32 degrees. It, the water, it's, it's raining. It doesn't know what to do, either freeze or not freeze. It's crazy. So I am jealous of your weather today, i got to admit. Well, you got to hop in the mobile broadcasting stu- studio and drive on out. It, it is beautifully blue sunshine weather, although for here it's it's what I would consider a Chicago picnic weather, you know, low 50s. Yeah, grilling weather, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, me, I'm just wandering out around in the hood. See, the problem here is that um, we don't have most most places don't have air conditioners, and people don't know how to turn the heaters on when it's in the 30s. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's our one year anniversary, my friend. Can you believe that? We've been doing this yeah, for congratulations. 53 Thursdays are just about congratulations to wow. you. Wow. Um, have we got that we, many we, shows in it? Yeah, we do. Um, wow. There's one or two that probably aren't up because the well, one of them there's I haven't been able to edit it out. But yeah, we got like 52 shows done. Isn't that that's incredible, isn't yeah. it? It is. It is. Makes me wonder why people are listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's because of. Your stir- sterling personality and my wise-ass wit. Um, other than that, I'm not quite sure. Although, um, I have learned a whole lot this year about franchising. So, um, and I always thought it was because of my good looks on the radio show. You're, oh, wait, you, you can't see me. So it can't be. Yeah. No, never mind. <laughs> I was going to say, you do have a face for radio, my friend. So do I, but that's okay. Um, so... Who's our guest today? Our guest is Reginald Bird, and he is a partner with DCV Franchise Group or Direct Connect Ventures. Ooh. How you doing, Reg? I'm doing great, and I, I I love the back and forth there about face for radio. I could be in no better place right now. This is perfect for my face. <laughs> well, then we're going to have to have you on again, because if you're like us, then we like you. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thank you, gentlemen, for having me today. I greatly appreciate it, and I'm honored to be on your one-year anniversary show. That's really special. I know those kind of those kind of landmarks, if you will, are, are exciting. So congratulations. And the pressure is on. You've you got to be really interesting. So otherwise, you know, <laughs> we might not make year two, and it'll be your fault. Well, my, but that's okay. Well, my <laughs> wife and I have been married for 36 years, so I'm at least interesting to her. I must be interesting to somebody else at least out there, I'm sure. All right. So here's oh, the deal. Wow. If you're not, yeah. we're going to have her on next time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> there you, you go. You won't, you won't want that. She's she's over-the-top interesting. <laughs> oh, like me. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so where are you located, and what's the weather like? DCV is uh, – our corporate main office is in Woodland Hills, California. 
that Southern California, we're right at just about the end of the L.A. County line when it becomes Ventura County. We're in a beautiful area called Warner Center, and the weather is right around 60 degrees, a few clouds out, and to us native Californians, that's freezing cold during the day. So, um, you know, we've got our sweaters and jackets and everything else. But we also have an office in Denver, Colorado, uh, where we have franchise presence uh, as well, and then also in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Buckhead District there. So we have three main offices for DCB Franchise Group. But you're in California. You're in Southern California. So, That's right. so Ray, the West Coast is is we're, we're we're tilting over today. It's the West Coast tilt today. Are you going to be able to deal with yes, it? Yes, it is. I don't know. I don't know those lefties. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been I think I've been hearing that my whole childhood. My father's family was all from the south and we were we were always referred to as the left coast. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so tell us how you started D C V because you if if I remember uh I don't know, somebody told me that you actually started the company. I did, and it was really, um, it's an interesting start. I was uh, in the hotel business for 25-plus years. I was CFO controller for Hyatt Hotels Corporation for many of those years, Uh, a Chicago company, by the way, guys. And anyhow, Uh so after I left corporate America, I, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit, and I didn't quite fit the mold of the green eye shade uh, controller, you know, with the with the pocket protector. So um, I finally was in a position to, to leave that environment, which I did love. Truly, the hotel business is a lot of fun. But I wanted to do something on my own, so I went into brokering and representing investors in hotel transactions around the country, which was really fun. It's just like being a real estate agent with residential, except I'm doing hotels. And having had all that hotel experience, it was really a great place for me to to transition. Hotels are franchises, uh, most of them anyhow. And uh, so I had basically been in the franchise industry and now representing investors in hotels, still in franchising. And so I ventured out a little bit out of the hotel arena and began going to other franchise conferences and so forth. And uh, I found that there was this niche that was wide open that no one wanted to touch, uh, and that was placing SBA financing or placing financing using the SBA program that the government offers. And uh, so seeing that in the, the general franchise, uh, franchise world, uh, not just in, in hotels, uh, I thought, boy, this is something that we can really help out with because we had been using SBA financing to to fund hotel deals that we were doing. So writing the business plan, putting programs together for lenders. I mean, this is back when we were putting programs together for lenders in big four-inch binders and overnighting them or having them couriered to the, to the bank. Um, as we know now, everything's technology driven but so I started uh, working with other franchise concepts in my home office 
I started doing webinars. I was in a you know a dress shirt tie and a jacket with my pajama bottoms on, doing <laughs> webinars <laughs> for folks and. And it was just it, it was just it, it just snowballed. It one thing led to another, and I had franchises calling me, asking if we could do financing for for their prospects for their concept. And uh, from there, I hired someone who was working in my dining room, and we moved into an office eventually because I I got tired of my wife asking me to take care of the laundry and this that and the other. So uh, <laughs> we moved into an office and. And we just grew from there. And one of the things that I think, um, and I'm just going off on a bit of a tangent here, but part of how we started involved a lot about our culture and how we handled prospects who came to us and, and how we helped those prospects become clients of ours and then take and then how we took them through the financing journey. To date, about 98% of all of our clients here 15 years plus later uh, are startups. They've never been in business before in their life, and they're scared to death. They don't know what to do next and, and how the process works. And Just about every call I have with the prospect uh, to date is always about, oh, I didn't know it worked like that. And so when I hear that, it's so exciting to me that – we're helping someone learn, and, and we're educating them about how this works and that it's possible. And that's our culture. It, it really stems from having worked in the hospitality industry for so many years. It's, even, even our team says it every once in a while. You'll hear them tell a client, you know, we're all about a warm towel and another mint on your pillow. And that's, that's it right there. We want people to yeah. be comfortable in this process because it is so confusing. So I'll kind of stop there. You know, I, I tend to go off on tangents, but the culture, I think, very much is a part of how the company started and, and who we are. So didn't uh, Jeff Bezos start out that way? Jeff Bezos. I don't know that name, I'm sorry to say. CEO of Amazon. Oh, 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 oh of course. I believe so. A few guys started in their garage and gals started in their garage. Yep. Yeah. So in a couple more years, you're going to be the richest man in the world? Sure. <laughs> Good. Why not? I'm glad we got you on now. We will definitely have you back. So Go ahead, Ray. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't forget who got you started now. <laughs> yeah, or at least who helped you along. How's that one? Yeah. Right, right. Well, I'll take it. No. You know, Reg, I find your concept very interesting because I, I started my business 15 years ago, and it was, I mean, of course, the franchise helped me. There's no, you know, I can't deny that. But I think what you're offering is beyond that. Am I correct? Well, it, you know, we've been going through some sales coaching here recently. I've said for years, I am not a salesperson. I don't like to ask for money. Um, I was a credit manager for years and years doing collections in the hotel business as I moved through the ranks, and I just I did not like that job very much because I didn't like to collect or ask for money. So I've always considered that to mean I'm not really a sales guy. But over the last few years, I've been told that I, I'm all of a salesperson. I'm everything that a salesperson is because I don't sell, 
because I talk about what we do and how it can help people. I bring the value to the table. I help them understand how it works. And so being part of the franchise sales process, we're able to help brokers and franchisors sell franchises. And so when you ask if, if you know, how, how we relate to, to franchising and how important it is what we do, we help people arrive financially safe. We help entrepreneurs arrive financially safe. And in doing so, as I usually put it, we keep the signs up on the building. They don't come down. Less closures, um, mm-hmm. more growth. All of those things are what financing participates in by virtue of making sure that we're we're setting entrepreneurs up with the right financing model, the right the right financing. There's a lot of folks out there who will pitch a financing program that they think is the best one because they're selling it. Um, but I just find it's difficult for me to say this as I, I want to remain humble here, uh, which I think I am. But after all these years, I just feel so confident about who we are and how we do things. I feel like there's just so many companies who are leading people astray. They're not giving the right information. They're not telling them everything. They're just misguiding them. And we we were with a PR firm here not too long ago who's helping us with a few things. And we sat down, my partner Larry and I sat down in a room with six ladies in Minneapolis and at 9 o'clock in the morning, we started our day-long meeting, uh, dissecting DCV and seeing how they could help us. And the very first question they asked over coffee at 9 a.m. was, if you could have anything in the world, what would you want? I didn't even bat an eye. I surprised myself to this day, but this is exactly how it is. I want every single prospect out there. And I don't want them for their business. I don't want them for their money. I want them so that we can give them the right information, put them on the right path, and make sure that they land on their feet, and so they can grow their enterprise. That's why we want every single prospect out there, because I really don't – here I go, I, I again, trying to be humble, but I've just seen it so many times where people are led astray. I just don't feel like anyone else out there – is giving that kind of commitment to people. So we are very, very helpful to the franchisees and the franchisors alike equally. See, That's the my process you, Well, <laughs> the process you described there is not selling. What I, we call that is helping people buy. And when people buy, they are much happier than when they're sold. At least mm. that's what we've already found. Um, we don't ever try to sell. We try to help people buy because if you educate them and they actually understand you know what you're talking about, they feel much better at buying from you and staying with you forever. Hey, Ray? So, so basically you're giving people a, a lot of good information and you tell them make your own decision on what you want to do because this is 
the information. This is the information I'm giving you right now, so that you can make an an adequate decision in the direction you want to go. Is that what you're saying, Reg? Correct. Correct. And we tell folks, you know what? We're sure you're talking to other organizations to to help you with financing, and if you hear something from them or you're not sure about something that they've told you, if you're if there's any concern in your mind whatsoever, you don't need to be a customer to call us back, back and ask us questions. We love to help you get the right information. And uh, yeah, so we want to make sure that they're that they're given the right and accurate intel. Okay, so one so. one of the questions that's coming to mind. Uh, you initially started talking about SBA loans. I think that when I went out for a loan, I was talking to various banks, uh, and none of them wanted to go the SBA route. So, what is it? What advantage is it to a bank or a loan, or a lender, any lender, to go with SBA backing? It's a great question. Uh, we talk about it all the time, every day, with folks because we'll hear we'll hear people say the SBA has a bad rap. It's not an easy program to to get through. It's paper intensive, if you will. It takes longer than most folks usually want to take in getting financing. All of those things are true, um, but. The SBA was originally designed after World War II to help rebuild Main Street America. And the spirit of the program is still in place today. You can imagine 10 years ago when the economy was falling apart, or maybe it's more than 10 years now. Time goes by so fast. But um, the SBA program was key because banks were nervous, but they had the government to back the money that they were lending. And so they didn't lose much incentive in lending because they knew they would have that guarantee. And so banks are extremely incented, if you will, to have the SBA program in order to lend because, as I said, the SBA backs as much as 75% of the loan amount. We're asked sometimes, well, because of these things that that are about SBA, taking a long time, paper-intensive, blah, 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 what if we go a conventional route? If you remember, I mentioned that about 98% of our clients are startups, never done this before in their life. These are people getting into business for the very first time. A, A bank, any bank down the street, to do a conventional program for a startup is going to want 100% collateral because they are taking 100% of the risk. It might not be 100% collateral, but it'll be as much as they can possibly get at a threshold of maybe 75% or so. But they're going to definitely want your house. They're going to want any assets that you have that are appreciating. They might even take your marketable securities, your stocks and so forth, and put a lien on those. But it just makes logical sense when you think about it. A traditional program has no backing of guarantee whatsoever that bank is taking 100% risk. Now, jump the fence, look at an SBA program for a bank. Oh, we get 75% guarantee from the government. 
Why not loan on this program? The financial composition of the borrower is solid. They may not have any collateral. They might be renting a home, or they might not have any equity in their home. They might not have any collateral at all. But you know what? The rest of their financial composition is okay and solid and tight. So let's go ahead and lend them money because we have this backup, or we have this backing, I should say. We have this backing from the government. So I think that that, or I hope that that helps explain the difference between the two different kinds of loans. I, I think that, it does. And, and right now, Fred has something to say. <laughs> well, Fred, what do you have to say? Well, yeah, I'd like to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. To tell our listeners that they can call us in and ask for questions at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. And for all you folks hanging out there on the website, I can see you hanging there. If you've got questions that we're not covering, uh, go ahead and message me, and I'll bring them in and ask Reg. And now a word from our first sponsor. Ever wonder how successful business people get educated about franchise business options? The Franchise Consulting Company is a group of over 100 franchise professionals with more than 2,000 years of franchise experience. We help our clients select and investigate franchise companies. And like a realtor, our services are free of charge to you. Our fees are paid by the seller. Reach out to us to learn more and get a free copy of the Franchise MBA, the number one bestseller and highest-reviewed book on Amazon in the franchise category. Our website is thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com or feel free to call us on 800-321-6072. And we're back. Uh, programming note, next week we actually have two authors on Valentine's Day, so... We'll be talking a lot of books next week, Ray. Back to you. Anything uh, having to do with Cupid? No. Well, <laughs> no. no uh, sadly, no. Uh, franchise and personal branding. Um, uh, but, you know, it should be fun. Yeah. It always is. Really. It always is, isn't it? Take it away, my friend. So, Reginald. Uh, so, Ooh, it sounds so formal. You explained what the advantage is to the bank. I, I didn't want to interrupt, but Reg, please, Reg, is perfect. Oh, okay. <laughs> thinks his father is calling him, or his mother's pissed at him, <laughs> calling him Reginald. And cut the man flat there. That's true. His LinkedIn yeah. profile says Reg. My, wife, <laughs> my my middle name is Robert, so and my wife was mad at me at me. Ray Bob. Right, Bob? Oh, <laughs> Got to remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, Reg, sorry. No, but, it's, uh, it's, so, it's better than Reggie. I would take uh, Reginald over Reggie. So, Reg, Reg all the way, though. That's that's perfect. Okay. <laughs> um, so, from from the from the person, all right. Let's let's look at this from the perspective of a guy who's preparing to buy a franchise. And so, so obviously the franchisor is going to uh, try to lead them in certain directions for for loans to help uh, finance the business. Uh, so, how should uh, before the, the decision is made as to what franchise to go for, what should a, a person? 
perspective, how does he prepare financially to buy the business, to buy a business? And right now he is not looking at any specific franchise, but he says, this is what I want to do. So how should he prepare himself uh, to look to the uh, – uh, to the franchise or and to uh, possible lenders. It's very similar to buying a home. In that, and this is actually the only way it's similar to buying a home, is that you need to determine what you can buy. So, can you buy a condo, or can you buy a McMansion or a mansion or something in between? So determining what what uh, what amount of financing you can get is very very important. So the very first step that I always encourage is to use a firm like ours uh, that can evaluate your personal financial composition, take a look at your credit. Just a side note: we never run anybody's credit because we don't want to hurt their score, and there's a way to do that effectively. Um, Look at their credit. Look at their tax returns. And with a few pieces of information like that, we're able to determine if they're bankable, number one, meaning can they even get a loan, and then number two, if financing for $150,000 is doable or a million is doable. So we can qualify them for a certain amount. Then they can begin the journey of discovering which franchise is going to be best for them within that range. Now, if we qualify them for 150000 and that's the max, we'll make sure that they understand what the roadmap is that can lead them to be able to buy a franchise that's half a million. If 150000 isn't going to be enough for what their dreams and aspirations are, let's look at what you need to do to get more financing. Same goes for if we review the information that's provided to us through our underwriting process and we determine that the individual is not bankable at all. They're not pre-qualified at this time. They cannot get financing for a business then we also will make sure that they have a roadmap that that spells out for them the journey moving forward. You need to correct your credit or you need to save more cash or you need to pay down your debt or whatever the case might be. A lot of times we find that the income isn't quite enough. Sometimes the cash will be there, but their income doesn't satisfy what a debt capture ratio needs to be in order to, to satisfy bank terms or, or bank requirements. So I think that that's the best way to start is find out where you sit right now. Don't think that, you know, you, you go to a trade show, you find a business that you want to buy, and you're driving home and you're thinking about you got to get the kids ready for school the next day or work the next day or whatever, and then you think, oh, you know what, I probably wouldn't even qualify anyhow. Bad approach unless you really don't want to buy a business. It's a bad way to to think about it. Instead, think about it like, you know, I really want to buy that franchise. I wonder if I qualify. Let's find out if I do or not. And from there, you'll know where to go. might be surprised. Yeah. 
we're, we're towards the goal. One, right. one of the things that we talk a, a, a lot about in the show is people who want to get in business and so bad that they undercapitalize it. And all of a sudden we come uh, 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 head on to a, a 2008-2009 financial crisis and they find themselves losing their entire life savings uh, because they, they have undercapitalized and they can't keep the, the whatever they, you know, whatever franchise they bought, they can't keep it going through this downturn. Uh, what kind of advice do you give people uh, regarding uh, being undercapitalized? Wow, Ray, that's a really, really great question and, and one that folks don't think about. Even when they call us for financing, we we hear sometimes people say, well, I have enough capital to just do this on my own. We look at the capital they have, and, yeah, they might have enough to do it on their own, but it wipes them out and they have no reserves. That is so dangerous, and, 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 it, and it speaks to exactly your question, that they are now undercapitalized, our economy turns upside down, and now what are they still? The same goes for getting financing, uh, which is pretty much exactly what, what I'm saying here. It all rolls up into one, is that you you need to retain as much of your personal capital as you possibly can. That includes your 401K money. That includes marketable securities. That includes any liquid assets that you have or assets that can become liquid. You need to retain that, especially nowadays when our economy is so volatile. We don't know what's going to happen from day to day. So getting financing and putting 25% in of the project cost versus putting in 100% of the finance, uh, of the project cost First of all, your return on investment is going to be a lot faster on 25% than 100%. You put 100% of your money into the deal, you're probably looking at five, seven, maybe even 10 years before you get all your money back, and all that does is stunt your growth. That disallows you from being able to grow your business. And I don't know anybody who's ever told me that they only want one business or one franchise. They might say they want one franchise now, but they want more later. Well, in order to grow your business, you've got to retain a strong balance sheet. You've got to retain your personal financial composition in order to grow your business. Because once you've wiped it out, you're stuck for that five, seven, or maybe even 10 years versus Mm -hmm. putting 25% in. Now you're able to leverage what you have get the first business open, after six months, 12 months, 18 months, whatever it might be, you're now ready to open up location number two because you have all of that balance sheet weight that's going to support you getting financing for the next location. Uh, Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head there because nobody, well, nobody should go into business wanting one location. Uh, unless right. you know you you, you want to be a slave to your own business, then then uh, you know, if you don't, then you need additional locations, 
and of course uh, hiring the right management team to to back that. Well, it's you know being an old hotel guy, um, that's how Mr. Hilton and Mr. Marriott did it. They leveraged mm-hmm. their financial strength and credit to be able to get financing to buy their first location. And then they continued to get financing to open more locations until it finally got to the point where they had so much capital they could pretty much do whatever they wanted to do. Right, right. Leverage is the key word there. Yeah. So that's really part of the education that we try to stress upon. You know what? Try to stress upon not only the franchisee candidate or the franchisee who wants to open up and and expand and and grow. But we're also trying to educate the franchisors about this. Guys, I can't tell you how many times we hear of franchisors who are pushing their prospects, their franchisee prospects, to get quick financing, be it, you know, credit cards or rollover of the retirement or a personal line of credit whatever it might be, franchisors do that. They want to get the deal closed and signed, and they want to get the location open. But they're not looking at the long term. The long term is how many of those locations that you push to open, making people use their cash and wipe themselves out, are going to remain open. And moreover, how quickly are you going to be able to grow your system, your franchise system, if you've put people in a position where they can only open one location now and cannot open another one for five, seven, or ten years versus putting somebody on a strong financial path to arrive financially safe so that they can open up store number two in a year. Franchisors, we want to educate as well. It's not just about the borrowers. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Makes sense to me. Is there a difference um, in getting financing for a franchisee who the who a piece of real estate is critical, like a restaurant or a hotel or a gas station, as opposed to um, somebody like Ray, where Ray is um, in you know a business office setting? Doesn't really his location isn't it's his importance is location, whereas the others are location, location, location. So, is there a difference uh, in going to a an SBA lender uh, to get when the real estate's that important? Absolutely, in both cases of if you're leasing space or if you're buying dirt, so to speak, if you're buying the land. If you're buying the land, there is an exceptional program that the SBA offers. And this is the the program, in fact, that I used for my clients when I was brokering hotels. Because when someone's buying a hotel, you're almost all the time, some of the properties were leased on leased land, I should say. But most of the time it was they're buying the building and they're buying the dirt. This is the same with car washes, gas stations, and so forth. Those those kinds of of loan programs, by the way, are referred to as, as um, specialty 
or special purpose, a special purpose. But the program that the SBA has in order for you to buy real estate with your business is exceptional. You can get in for three, four, five percent capital requirement. The interest rates are fixed. They're for 30, uh, 25 years or more. Uh, they're incredible programs. And so the SBA program works very, very well for that. In fact, we've done several car wash programs over the last few years where one of them, in fact, was in Atlanta. Uh, some folks bought a piece of land that had an old Burger King on it. They tore down the Burger King, and they put in a car wash. That was about a $5.5 million project. That was all funded by an SBA program. And it went very smoothly. Wow. Um, versus even lease space. If you're leasing space in a retail center, uh, it's not the same program from the SBA, but it's it's one where uh, you know folks are gonna gonna get a great a great program from a lender who's using an SBA backed program. And home based so, businesses too, similar to like what Ray has, that could potentially be a home based business or an office space like you have now. Um, those kinds of businesses are are not a favorite of every bank, but there are plenty of lenders out there who will lend for those kinds of businesses as well. No question about it. So I, I, I just I, – I, I got to circle back there. So if you're – let's say we were going to go and buy the building that we're in, you're telling me how much um, – quote down we would have to have is three to five percent correct okay ray i gotta go uh <laughs> i gotta go throw some water on my head because i'm overheating at this point um take it away yeah the amount of capital required when it's a real estate based meaning you're buying the property uh the not the interest rate the the, the amount of capital requirement is much, much less. I mean, it can go into the low teens, but it's not going to be anything like up to 30% for, uh, you know, for retail space. Ray, I, I learned something again. Yes, absolutely. I have some good, something uh, questions for Reg, but I, I think, uh, Fred, you need to take a break right now. And, uh, oh, yeah, I know, do. I really do. have an ice okay. tea. <laughs> Instead of a coffee, I used to give them <laughs> take, it's fine. take your break, um, and we'll we'll come back. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks. Uh, reminder to our listeners: you can dial in at three two three five eight zero five seven five five. That's three two three five eight zero five seven five five. We can go to pillarsoffranchising dot com, and which I can see we've got multiple people there. Uh, put your questions in, and we'll get them asked and answered. And now, a word from another sponsor. Hey, franchise owners. Does the marketing that corporate provides for your franchise go far enough? Do you struggle to get local clients to call or come through your door? At Mediavine Marketing, we love working with franchises like yours to personalize and localize your marketing efforts through social media sites like Facebook or Instagram, in emails to your current and past customers, with Facebook or Google Ads, and whiteboard animation videos. Contact Mediavine Marketing today at 
805-265-5440 or go to MediaVineMarketing.com. That's 805-265-5440. MediaVine Marketing. We know franchises and we want to help yours grow. And we're back. And uh, a quick note, Ray, next week I expect that Michelle of MediaVine Marketing will be on with some really, really big news. Been a year in making so it'll be a Valentine's Day extravaganza. (laughs) All right, I'm coming down. Uh, I'm we're back. Um, Question I've got is, uh, from what I know, you yourself are a licensed California real estate broker. Um, So you help people uh, actually find. You can actually help people find um, real estate for their franchises. Uh, how difficult, at least in the California area, is it to find uh, good property? What's the cost ranges that uh, a a gas station or a hotel or something like that would be uh, looking at when buying property? Well, California is is such a mixed bag. I mean, you've got, you've got, you know, places out in the Mojave Desert, and you've got Central California, you've got Northern Northern California, you have San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego. So to say what an average is is virtually impossible because of all of those different segments. And as well, finding a location is extremely difficult. Another one of the arms of what we do here at DCV is that we will build develop and grow and sell franchises. So we'll take a dream that someone has and turn it into a business. From that business, we'll eventually turn it into a franchise. And as a franchise, then we'll begin selling franchises from that business. And one of our clients right now is, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, extremely frustrated because the area where they want their new business to be just does not have favorable uh, a favorable market for finding for finding the location that they want that they that they envision, and so it really is a matter of identifying uh, the demographics of where you of what you need in order to to support your business, as well be able to identify the area you want to be. So it's really the area first, and then within that area. What is the demographic? That demographic being, uh, you know, what are you focusing on uh, as far as your business is concerned and who your clients are? Is it age? Is it income? Uh, whatever the case might be, demographics play a very big role in finding the right kind of location. All right. So bag out there in California. Oh, true. Um, definitely about uh, in the eastern part. So. If I understand your answer right, uh, one, besides the fact that it depends on how much you're going to pay out the nose, depending on where you are in California, you also right. help would-be franchisors become franchisors? Oh, yeah. That's, that's another division of DCV. We will take a mom and pop on the corner, or as I mentioned, even a dream, turn it into a business. Uh, this particular client that I'm referring to uh, two brothers, they had a dream for a restaurant they wanted to open. It's a unique concept. And we've taken them from that dream to paper to to building the infrastructure 
of the business to menu tasting and writing a menu board, putting their menu board together, um, all of the recipes, uh, everything that it takes to open a restaurant, uh, labor standards, inventory practices, what do we need in inventory? How much inventory do we need to keep on hand at any given time of all the different products we have? And so we've done that, and now we're literally at a place where we need to find them a location. They need to find a location, and we're working on this together, but just we just have been uh, not too successful in, in finding them one. Um, even okay. part of our process when we were building their business was – Coming up with the with the footprint of the restaurant. Where is every single table going to go? Where will people walk up and order? Or do we even want them to walk up and order? Do we want it to be a sit down? So yeah, we we take folks all the way through that journey as well. And then when we're selling their franchises, it moves right into our financing arm, where we can get financing for their franchisee prospects. All right. So when we've had people on in past, and we've and this topic. Um, uh, has come up and this is a, a, a topic that is I guess more of interest to me than Ray um, most people most professionals have told us you know uh, you need to get a business up to a certain level you need to maybe get multiple, some three or four or five locations and then you have everything documented um, but the example that you just cited, it sounds like they just started from scratch. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. Like I said, it was a dream. And yeah, they're going to need to open that first location. They're going to they're going to be able they they're going to be required to be open for a while so that we can demonstrate a proof in concept, quote unquote. That's that's a term very common proof and concept. Once we've identified there's the proof and the concept, can we begin selling franchises with only one location open? Probably not. We've seen it done, and very recently, in fact, there were a number of franchises sold from one location being open, and that didn't turn out too well. So we'll probably end up having them open up two, three franchises, or two or three more uh, corporate locations before we actually start selling. But, um, yeah, there needs to be that proof and concept, and the proof and concept should be identified in different kinds of demographics, unless the kind of business that you have is so specified and specific, you only want to go into a Rodeo Drive neighborhood, or you only want to go into a Bakersfield neighborhood, or wherever. Um, if you have one specific demographic, and that's it, then okay, then we can find that demographic. However, like, um, you know, let's just take a, I don't know, Jack in the Box, Taco Bell, what, you know, household name franchise concept. Those kinds of concepts have been proven in every single kind of demographic that's out there. And so they're pretty easy to sell versus a smaller franchise system that maybe only has half a dozen open units might have have been opened in, in more restrictive kinds of demographic areas. And so when you go to open, you sell a franchise for opening up unit number seven to a new franchisee, 
and they want to go to a demographic where this concept has never been proven, well, we're going to put the brakes on a little bit. And so let's step back and look at this. Will this product serve that demographic? If, if we think so, how? Because it's never been proven before. So I, I think one of the things we need to talk about right now before we uh, get any further in the show is how do people find you, Reg? You know, <clears throat> phone number, uh, web page, all that. Can you give us that information? Well, I usually hide in any corner I can, so it, it'll be hard. <laughs> <I'm> sure. <laughs> That's good for business, isn't it? Um, we are, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, we're located in Woodland Hills. Our phone number is area code 805-449-2411. And um, our address here in Woodland Hills is 21550 Oxnard Street, Woodland Hills, California, of course, 91367. And uh, I think I also mentioned we're in the Warner Center Towers. Uh, so Topanga uh, and Oxnard are the two main cross streets. Um, I think the best email address to use, well, I'll give you mine. It's regregdcvfranchisegroup.com. I do travel a great deal. And, you know, the emails are hit and miss on your phone, depending on where you are. But more more uh, grounded, if you will, is Anthony here in our office. And his email address is Anthony. No, 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 I'm sorry. It's A-Bird, A-B-Y-R-D, at dcvfranchisegroup.com. So that's A-B-Y-R-D at dcvfranchisegroup.com. Nice, throwing Anthony under the bus. You're darn right I am. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well, known to many, it's no secret, Anthony is my son. Um, I made him work out in the world for over a decade before I invited him to join the company, and that was uh, going on four years ago or so, maybe five now. And that was because uh, he and his wife gave my wife and I our first grandchild. So I figured I need to keep awesome. closer ranks on this kid. <laughs> it's exciting. I, I, I think about four years ago I invited my son as well to join the company. And it, it's it been a, a real pleasure to, to have uh, someone in the company, yeah. a relative. Yeah, Anthony sits right next to me um, and uh, here in the office and, his office is about half the size of mine on purpose, of course, but you know. <laughs> he does very good. And what's exciting is he has that passion and that, uh, you know, that desire to, to please. Uh, and not everybody has that. Now, my other son, he is actually in Europe living over there with his wife. She's European. And so, she put her claws on him and took him back there. But he is actually developing an international arm of DCV over in the Netherlands, which we're very excited about. Oh, we've we've ventured really cool. internationally. We have an Australian client now. Yeah. We have German clients. So, anyhow, I'll leave it at that. Unless there's anything else you want me to say, because I can certainly go on and on. <laughs> I was just going to say grandkids are great. Um 
I got yes. let know at Christmas. My daughter is expecting our, her second one um, in June. So yeah, Ray, I'll be there back in June if and to Chicago. So, but no snow then, please. Oh. Um, yeah, well, Fred, if you it. bring up grandkids, we're really going to be here all day. Oh yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I, so mine are I, the cutest in the world. That's all I gotta say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mine fine. <laughs> Mine's gonna be the smartest, so take that. <laughs> I've already uh, determined that when I had my first grandkid, I went from like a five or six year plan to a twenty two year plan. That I was turning my 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 seat and desk as CEO and where I'm sitting to her when she's out of college. So. Um, her mom said, she doesn't have any choice in this, does she? And no, she doesn't. That, it was not by my word, so that's pretty cool. That's funny. Uh, grandkids are pretty cool. After being married, as long as my wife and I have, and I'm sure you, you guys as well, it's it's kind of a renewal for my wife and I. I mean, not that anything needed to be renewed necessarily, but it's just it's almost like a new beginning for that part of our yeah. life. It's, it's really neat. Yeah, it is. It is. It, but the, really, the best part is that they go home. Yeah, you get to rile them up and you don't have back. to worry about dirty diapers or feedings or or anything like that. They go home. That's so true. Um, now I'll post back from the brink that I took us to. Um, I did want to. You talked early in the show about the executive level business plan. Um, how's how do you guys do that differently, or do you from just the normal business plan? Well, to say a normal business plan, with with all due respect, Fred, you know, there's so many different kinds of business plans. You might write one for yourself, and and, and it might just mostly be about marketing and sales and financials and that kind of thing. Or it might be a business plan that you want to present to potential equity investors. Uh, There's a lot of different kinds of business plans. The business plan that we write is for financing, period. It's the business plan written for a bank to be able to understand who they're going to potentially get in business with and what kind of business they're going to potentially be financing. And so our business plan was originally designed around SBA guidelines because for practically every single program that the SBA offers lenders, there's going to be a business plan required, especially for what everyone or most people know as the 7A or the 504. The 504 program is for real estate investment when you're buying the dirt in the building like we were talking about earlier. The 7A program is for home-based businesses, brick-and-mortar, lease space, that kind of thing. But um, so this business plan, like I said, was was written around and, and designed around SBA guidelines. It has everything a lender needs in order to satisfy SBA requirements. So guess what? Banks love it. We've been told over the years that our business plan has set the bar with their chief credit officer at the bank. We continue to hear that to this day. Our business plans run 50 to 60 pages long. It includes a financial model. The financial model has three years of financial projections, cash flow statements, balance sheets, break-even analysis, 
Best case, worst case scenario, a payroll analysis. The payroll analysis is a good example of how detailed we get with the financial model. We, we calculate out the average number of hours or the number of hours that a business is going to be open in a year based on the average wage that's going to be paid to the employees and the full-time equivalent it's going to take to operate that business for that number of hours in a year. And then that's how we figure out the payroll. And then we figure in, of course, management, if there is any, and so forth. But that gives you an idea of how detailed the financial model is. It includes wow, the demographic very study. comprehensive. Yeah. It's, there's, there's a lot more to it that I could tell you about, but that, that gives you a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. So this, wow. yeah, the business plan is a requirement. You need one. Uh, a lot of people will, will come back to us after they've received their business plan and say, I – was anticipating I would do a million dollars a year in gross revenue. You're saying I'm only going to do $800,000 a year because we do write it. We, we, we write it, we give it to the clients and then the client reviews it. And then we work with them back and forth to, to come up with something that they can speak to and they're comfortable with. But what we explained to them is folks, this business plan was written for the lender. We know that the lender wants to see 800,000, not a million, because if they see a million, the bank's going to go, yeah, right. That's that's not that's pie in the sky. Whereas the 800,000 figure is more realistic, and and we know what banks are, are are looking for in reality. So that that's an interesting thing. Is that you kind of want to? Most people are you saying most people overestimate the revenue that they're going to make, or that banks will underestimate? the revenue they're going to make? Banks definitely move in a conservative uh, a conservative mode. Um, and so, you know, the the franchisees are hearing through their va- what are called validations when they're talking to other franchisees in the system to validate if they want to buy the business or not. They're hearing numbers from those individuals and generally, a, a franchisor is going to give out phone numbers and so forth to for existing franchisees who are doing pretty well. And so our client might be hearing from, from franchisees who who are doing exceptionally well and are maybe even uh, the anomaly, uh, whereas lenders are using a tool. They have many tools they use, but one of the tools that they use is uh, is a risk management tool where uh, all yogurt shops, for example, are in one bucket of the dessert segment of businesses. So within desserts, well, within food, there's desserts. Within desserts, there's yogurt. And so banks will use their risk analysis for the yogurt industry at large and base their calculations off of that. And so because we're privy to that information in, risk manage- in the risk management process, we know that they're going to be looking for X in revenue of a yogurt shop, not Y. Now, the client, the franchisee might achieve Y, but let's give the bank something realistic that they can get their arms around rather than something they're going to scratch their head about. Hey, I think that runs me out of questions, Ray. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh then I have a, a quick question. So person owns a franchise, it's become successful and now that 
person is thinking about expanding either that franchise or expanding it to a different area, what advice do you give the entrepreneur who is uh, wanting to expand a little bit? Because uh, we did talk about new franchisees, franchisors, uh, you know, doing this for the first time and, and how you can advise them and, and what programs you have available for them. So let's talk a little bit, just a few minutes about the franchise uh, person. The entrepreneur has been in business a while and wants to expand. What can you offer them and what advice can you give them? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is that to get financing, which is what we encourage folks to do until they're like Hilton, not necessarily like Hilton or Mary, but until they get to a place where they're very liquid and comfortable with how the businesses are cash flowing and so forth, we encourage them to get financing. And again, it goes back to leveraging what you have in order to grow. And so getting financing for store number two and number three, for example, is going to look and feel almost exactly the same as getting financing for store number one. And what I mean by that is you're going to have to have that 25% capital requirement investment, give or take. You're going to have to have the, the good credit scores. You're going to have to have the debt capture ratio. Uh, you're going to have to have the income, the post-closing liquidity. All of those things are going to still need to be in place when you go to get financing for store number two and three. In order to get to store number two, store number one has to be cash flowing. Store number one has to be servicing its debt, able to service its debt if there isn't financing on it for whatever reason. Uh, but store number one has got to show six months. This is a general rule of thumb, so don't take what I'm saying here black and white. There's always case by case. Every single case is different. But as a rule of thumb, a business, the existing store number one, has to show six consecutive, consistent months of cash flow being able to service debt. Once you achieve that six months of consecutive, consistent cash flow, let's start working on getting financing for store number two. And then the same thing for three. Number one's got to be cash flowing consistently, consecutively, as does number two now. And then we can go get financing for number three. So just keep in mind that you're not going to be able to open your locations one after another right out of the gate in order to get financing. You're going to have to make sure that your businesses are, are cash flowing and that your personal reserves, I shouldn't leave this out, your personal reserves are stacked up as well. A bank definitely draws a line, a very heavy line in the sand. There's the business financials, and then there's the personal financial. So you've always got to make sure that you've got your personal reserves in order. That's that's very, very important. It sounds like very sound advice to me. What do you think, Fred? I think it I think that's a uh other than having to uh have Reg give us his website again, I think that's about all I can handle this week. My head's ready to explode. <laughs> I was just going to suggest that. Let's get that information again in case somebody didn't have a pencil and paper and uh, to write it down. So if you could give us to all your information again, I think our listeners would greatly appreciate it. 
You bet. So my email address is rbyrd at dcvfranchisegroup.com, or better yet, I'll throw them under the bus again. Anthony is, is abyrd at dcvfranchisegroup.com, and it's not for preferential treatment or anything that he's my son, but he's uh, he's he's committed to you. Um, our phone number is 805-449-2411. We're located in Woodland Hills, Southern California. Uh, our address is 21550 Oxnard Street. I think I left out earlier our suite is 1000. We're on the 10th floor. That's Woodland Hills, California, 91367. And our website address is www dot dcvfranchisegroup.com just like in the email addresses and I hope that our phone will ring off the hook because we want to make sure that we get people on the right track with the right information well, I, I personally want to me. say yeah say thanks for um, having being on the show today it's been it's been educational and entertaining. <laughs> wow, we we met met our oh, goals, yeah. right? Lots of fantastic information. Absolutely, something Good. you can uh, hey, go to the bank on. <laughs> there you go. Very well put. Well, it's been my pleasure. As you can tell, I, I think I love talking about this. I love sharing what we know, and uh, we just uh, we want to help as many people as we possibly can. But gentlemen. Congratulations again on your one-year anniversary. We look forward to February 14th with the big announcement, and I thank you uh, for the opportunity to be with you today. It's been a real pleasure. It has, Rich. Thank you. Thank you. you. And now, Holly A. Ford and Go Tell It to the Mountains. Hi, this is Holly Ford from Zarian Firm. Trending this week in franchising, the working capital component of buying a franchise. So many buyers and even franchise developers underplay this important detail. It's not just about having the ability to pay for and secure funding for your new venture, but you need to make sure that you have the capital available to inject into the business until the business reaches the net revenue and matches your current needs. Sadly, this week, I've been working with a franchisee who consulted Zarian Firm for help. The franchisee began his business with insufficient working capital. Now, less than a year into the business, he no longer has the capital to move the business into profitability, and he wants to sell. Unfortunately, without the profits, the business is worth only the depreciated costs of the assets plus a little goodwill. Unless we find a buyer that wants to take the risk with a two-year trending forecast, this franchisee is in bad shape. In this instance, the build-out came in at more than $100,000 over projected costs, and the new owner was not clear on what break-even really meant. He mistakenly assumed that this was where he replaced his prior income. But break-even is just that. The business now has enough revenue to support and sustain the costs and expenses of the business. Break-even does not mean profitability. When you're looking at new franchise opportunities, it's really critical to engage the developer or your broker to assist you in creating a pro forma, a pro forma based on your existing resources 
and the existing data of the other franchisees and their real results. If you'd like to learn more about working capital or how to create a Performa, connect with me through the Pillars blog or send me an email to holly at zarianfirm.com. Now for today's two-minute topic, go sell it on the mountain, franchisor do's and don'ts. Developers are enthused about their concept, and it makes it very easy for these skilled salesmen and women to really champion the franchise as the best in the industry. All good. But always remember, to developers, these men and women buying a franchise are often using a lifetime of savings, leaving an existing source of income, or investing in their future retirement. So be positive, for sure, but be real. The single most important rule for franchise developers is no FPRs. This is common knowledge in the industry, but for those of you that are new to franchising, an FPR is really defined as a franchise performance representation. Essentially, it's telling a prospective franchisee how much money he or she can make in the business. If a franchisor has an item 19 in their FDD, the franchise disclosure document, he is legally allowed to state exactly what is represented there, and that's approved, of course, by the state in that section. But there is much more to being real than this. Today, we're going to take a bird's-eye view of three areas of focus for franchisor do's and don'ts, money, competition, and what to expect. As we discussed earlier in trending, as we discussed, do not represent the real results of other franchisees, but also, and possibly even more important, make sure that you don't under-project working capital requirements. This is the biggest mistake in development that I have seen, as I spoke to you about earlier in our trending section. As a franchisor, make sure that you're looking deep into the finance needs of your prospect. How much is his burn rate? Will he be working full-time in the business? What other sources of revenue does he have? Then put the picture together with a conservative, cautious projection. The second area of focus today is the competition. Don't underplay the competition. You can sell the advantages of the franchise focusing on support, additional streams of revenue, fast startup, low build-out, etc. The final area of our focus today is what to expect. When doing a discovery day and with potential franchisees, it's great to have a nice dinner or cocktails and get comfortable with them and, and let them get comfortable with your key players in your corporate office. But make sure that the candidate has the opportunity to experience the real day-to-day operations of the franchise at a location in the company of a model owner. If you'd like to learn more about the do's and don'ts of franchise development, connect with me at holly at zarianfirm.com. Next week's two-minute topic is entitled, Add the Lip Gloss. Preparing Your Business for a Resale. And finally today, our highlighted franchise of the week is Apple Spice. Apple Spice is a proven B2B box lunch delivery and catering company enjoying a piece of the $45 billion industry. Apple Spice services the corporate and business community as well as educational systems, government offices, financial institutions, sporting events, churches, and charities. Apple Spice is the only solely catering franchise with a low startup cost and a fantastic technology and support program. Give me a call if you want to learn more, 
855-733-1337 or email me at holly at zarianfirm.com. If you have any questions about this topic or any other question regarding franchising, email me at holly at zarianfirm.com and we can cover it on a future episode. This is Holly Ford of Zarian Firm on Pillars of Franchising saying, see you next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Wow. That was a, 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 I like what you said in there, don't you? More good information. Um, you know, it's been, I, I, I look at where we started a year ago um, and, and how far we've come and we picked up sponsors and built a website and um, had a whole lot of, had, had people reach out um, to be on the show and, um, I don't know about you, but I learned a whole lot in this past year that I had no clue of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel more comfortable with the show. And uh, I think maybe uh, that's showing a little bit, uh, be able to uh, feel, you know, a little lighter in some of the things that I say and at the same time drill down to some of the meat that, uh, that our guests have uh, information-wise for us. Uh, I gotta agree, my friend. You you've gotten fa- far far better, and I mean that only in a good way, um, because it, it, the, doing doing this stuff the, it, when you haven't done it before, um, there's a sense of timing and and not being in front of each other to see each other that can make it much even more difficult. But um, yeah, we've both gotten better at this. Oh yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. All right. On and that fun. note, we'll, I enjoy it. Oh, I love it. This is my favorite day of the week. I really love yeah. doing this. We'll, I look forward to it. <laughs> excellent. So we'll take our uh, last word for our la- from our last sponsor and let uh, Zarian Firm hopefully uh, take us out. Sounds good. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers is truly unique in the business retail space. While the average business broker uses one standard multiplier across all businesses and industries to value a business, Zarian Firm is the only business brokerage that looks at the five factors of distinction in each individual business. This gives our sellers a true value and our buyers a fair price. Zarian offers sellers the choice of three marketing packages based on how quickly they want to sell their business but all of our businesses sell 33% faster than the industry norm. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers connects premium investors with validated business opportunities. Okay, one last question for you right before we go out. Didn't Hyatt take over Illinois? Um, in in what respect? Well, I thought they put their a governor in there. Uh, their governor in Illinois? Yeah, Pritzker. I'm aware of. <laughs> I thought the Pritzkers owned Hyatt. Oh, <laughs> yeah, probably. 
So that means everyone should be now, well, everyone's going to pay a lot more money, but they should get much better accommodation. Never mind. Okay, folks. <laughs> yeah, colors of franchise. Ray and I will be back next week with a Valentine's Day extravaganza. So be Looking sure to listen. To it. I am too, my friend. Talk to everyone. Have a, All right. have a great, successful week. You bet. Talk to you.